It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Podcast Network. My name's Sam Ekstrom. On Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Back with you on this Thursday in the Twin Cities. There was no show yesterday. If a show had gotten done yesterday, it would have been rushed. It would not have been done well. And I felt like Randy Moss and Ahmad Rashad's Ring of Honor show needed a little bit more attention. So that's what we'll give it today. We're out at Vikings practice yesterday. And suddenly we all turn around. Hey, it's Randy Moss. He's talking to Sid Hartman, two legends. Hey, is that Ahmad Rashad? That guy who's on crutches for some reason? Yeah, that is Ahmad Rashad. And the email comes in stating that the Vikings are inducting Moss and Rashad into their ring of honor. First on Moss, second most touchdowns ever, third most yards ever. In terms of polarizing popular receivers, He's got to be close to number one. And in multiple markets, I think his relatively short time in New England, he endeared himself to that fan base just as he did to Minnesota's. And that's because Randy Moss knew how to make an impression. Look at what Randy Moss did his rookie season for the Minnesota Vikings. 17 touchdowns, 1,300 yards. His first year in Oakland, 1,000 yards. His first game in Oakland had a spectacular juggling catch for a touchdown. His first year in New England, nearly 1,500 yards, career high, 23 touchdowns in a perfect season. Moss's first chapter everywhere he went was always elite. And because he got such a fast start on it, he always set a high bar that many players couldn't sustain over the course of a long career. But Moss, with maybe a couple exceptions, found a way to continually match and or top himself. Even in a year in 2004, when Moss was pretty ordinary, he even said yesterday in his press conference that he sort of took a break that season. He still scored 13 touchdowns, and he still had the infamous Lambeau Field two-touchdown playoff game mooning the fans. For those that grew up on Moss, whether you were 5 years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, I think a certain element of it was taken for granted. For instance, I'm watching Moss, having not seen nearly as much football as I have now. And I think you see a guy like that and you say, well, this is what receivers do in in the NFL. And that couldn't be further from the truth, especially now watching Moss back Almost 20 years later, the 98 highlight reel almost doesn't seem like real life. 
Randy Moss had 19 yards per reception his rookie year. For reference, Adam Thielen had 14 last year as the Vikings' top receiver. I think what Vikings fans also have to consider, too, is that without the quarterbacks he had, Moss might have had a much harder time getting going. For instance, Brad Johnson gets hurt. Randall Cunningham with the big looping deep ball takes over. That led to Moss's rookie success. Then Jeff George in 1999 had sneakily one of the strongest arms, even at his veteran age, that you will ever see. We're talking eye-level bombs, 60 yards downfield. And then Dante Culpepper, who aired it out to Moss for the rest of his time in Minnesota, he had a huge arm. If the Vikings had had Teddy Bridgewater during Moss's tenure, his greatness might not have been able to come through as it did. It's because Moss had this incredible combination of hands, timing, footwork, route running, but primarily speed that allowed him to basically adjust to any ball in the air. And there are perfect examples of every asset of Moss's on display. You think about just his straight line speed. I think of Dante Culpepper at Ford Field, roughly 2004, 82-yard touchdown to Moss, where he just throws it as far as he can. And Moss always found a way to accelerate the football. I think of Moss at Lambeau Field his rookie year on Monday night. He had a couple awesome contested catches on the left side of the field on deep balls where the defender's in perfect position. He's just going up and out-muscling, using his coordination and his vision to get in the right position. And for being lean and lanky, Moss was strong. There was no safety or cornerback who was going to out-physical Moss in the air. And Moss wasn't that physical of a runner. Guys like Percy Harvin or Cordero Patterson were are far more physical as running receivers. But in the air, Randy Moss was untouchable. And when he was running with the football, half the time Moss wasn't getting caught anyway. But because he was so hit-averse, you wonder if that lengthened his career because he was so durable. Missed three games in 2004, missed three games in 2006. That's it. Played in 218 regular season games in his career. And from a legacy standpoint, it's heartening to see that Moss hasn't burned his Minnesota bridge and that even after the falling out in 2005 and the falling out in 2010, that he can still come back and get emotional when Minnesota tells him he's in the ring of honor. That's cool to see. And it also tells you that whatever happens with Adrian Peterson in the next few years, this will be him. Whether it's 2020 or 2025, Peterson will be back here and it will feel right, just as it feels right with Moss. And as bad as his reunion tour was in Minnesota with the four games he played in 2010, at least it took him away from New England, who was obviously the primary challenger for the stranglehold on Moss's legacy, and it brought him back home. And as tough as it might have been internally, the love for Moss never left. And Moss alluded yesterday in his press conference that, you know, there were some fans that he rubbed the wrong way, and, and maybe there are a few, but I think generally speaking, 
the love for Randy Moss is pretty universal. And as I've heard alluded to in the past few days, the polarity of Moss, for better or for worse, brought that mystique to him that I'm not sure you can duplicate with a clean-cut kind of guy. As weird as that is to say, and as much as you want clean-cut, good head-on-their-shoulders football players, Moss's edginess added to his legend. It was the sound bites on NFL films. I came out the womb and I was ready. They can't jump with me, golly. They call me the freak because I'm a freak in nature. Moss was often uncomfortable with the media. He was unpredictable, enigmatic. But when he was on the football field, he was confident and brash and smooth. And because he was so different, unlike any football player before or after him, that's why he's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he mentioned that yesterday. For me to consider myself a first ballot Hall of Famer, I mean, the love I get out there on the streets, the love that I get from my peers, the love that I get from coaches past and present, yeah, I hold my hat on first ballot. I really do. And he mentioned something interesting there, the love that he has from his peers. A couple of years ago, I worked with Mike Morris, the former Vikings long snapper at 105 The Ticket, the sports radio station here in Minneapolis. And from what I gleaned from Morris, Moss was usually the most popular in the locker room, at least amongst the receivers and amongst the stars. A guy like Chris Carter, who I think many would have thought to be the more professional of the two, wasn't all that well-liked. Moss just had a magnetism to him, and maybe it stemmed from his drive and his love of the game that tied him, I think, pretty easily into any locker room setting. His issue was probably bucking authority a little bit too much. He played by his own rules. He played when he wanted to play. Fortunately, he wanted to play most of the time, and he had the best wide-receiving career that I've ever seen. Things got emotional yesterday when he talked about Dennis Green, who passed away July 21st, 2016. Here's what it sounded like. Playing this game on draft day, I really don't know why I was treated the way I was treated on draft day, but Coach Green gave me an opportunity, man. And I told him, Coach, you're not going to regret this. So you asked me what I would say to him. Man, I'll probably just fall in his arms and give him a hug, man. There's no words that I can tell him. The man passed away without me really, really, really giving him my love and thanks for what he was able to do for me and my family, man. There's a lot of teams out there that passed on me for wrong reasons. Coach Green gave me that opportunity. So when all y'all Viking fans are sitting up here, going back in the past, remembering the teams that I played on, the teams that Ahmad played on, the teams that Coach Green coached. Man, however you feel about me, you can feel. But if you feel a good way about me, Coach Green bought me here. And whatever talents that I was able to showcase, he helped me do that, man. So just fall in his arm and give him a big hug, man. That's my man. You see how emotional I am about it? I'm very thankful to be able to cross paths with Coach Green. There's some more on that at zonecoverage.com. And there's also a great story written there about Randy Moss recounting a Dennis Green story, rookie year, prior to the Monday night game at Lambeau Field that I think you'll want to check out, zonecoverage.com.
We've talked a lot about Moss, and I want to leave some time for Ahmad Rashad. I have fewer things to say about Ahmad Rashad, not because he doesn't deserve words, just because I can't speak firsthand about a lot of what Ahmad Rashad did. But I do know of one notable accomplishment, though, and that was the miracle at the Met, the Hail Mary in 1980 to win the division over the Cleveland Browns. One of the most underrated games in NFL history, I would say, that a lot of younger Vikings fans probably don't even know about and should know about because it's a mythic finish with not just one, but two miraculous plays back-to-back. And considering the stakes and the players involved, there's some great name drops in there. It is a treat that we have this available on YouTube. To set the scene, it's 23-9 Cleveland in the fourth quarter. Vikings score a touchdown to pull within eight. But in that time, you couldn't go for two. It wasn't allowed. They missed the extra point, so they're still down eight, and that's a two-possession game. So they come back, they score again, but they can only make it a one-point game. So it's 23-22. Then Cleveland is trying to run the clock out. They fail to do so, and they have to punt. Then Cleveland makes a terrible mistake. With, with the clock at about 20 seconds, they intentionally punt the ball into the end zone. If they tried to put any semblance of touch on the punt and pin the Vikings back inside the 10 or at least kill some more time, this game probably doesn't end the way it does. But they basically, in, but they intentionally punted out the end zone and give the Vikings the ball at the 20 with 14 seconds to go and no timeouts. So the odds are still long. Tommy Kramer, the quarterback, throws over the middle and a hook and ladder play. Looks a lot like Boise State against Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Hook and ladder play to Ted Brown. Brown scampers for 34 to the Cleveland 46-yard line, gets out of bounds. So now they're in Hail Mary range. And with five seconds left, Ahmad Rashad came up with the play of his life. 23-22 to 22 in favor of Cleveland. Five seconds left, first down, Cleveland 46. Three wide receivers right, Kramer back to pass. He's going deep, down the right side. And it is fought for, and it is touchdown! Rashad! Rashad! Absolutely one of the great dramatic finishes of any football game anywhere. The Vikings go to the playoffs, 28-23. And I loved what Rashad said yesterday. I asked him about this play, and he says, It wasn't a surprise. We knew when the game started to change that we were going to win the game. Whatever happened, it was going to happen, but we were going to win the game. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, surprise, they caught the ball. I knew I was going to catch the ball. I knew we were going to win the thing. It was just one of those kinds of things that added on to the legend of the North. And if you haven't seen it, I would encourage going back on YouTube as well and watching the Welcome Home montage that Ahmad Rashad narrates. Great voice. Obviously a TV host in the second part of his career post-football. Very comfortable on camera. Very comfortable speaking to the media. Rashad's five-minute montage that was played the night of the regular season opener at U.S. Bank Stadium is spine-tingling. Not quite as much as the Hail Mary, 
but pretty close. So if you haven't seen either of those, two great Ahmad Rashad YouTubeable videos. There was a practice yesterday. It was pretty uneventful. Shamar Stefan returned to practice after missing Tuesday. Teddy Bridgewater continues to rehab. The kickers continue to compete. Nothing particularly new coming out of it. I'm working on a story on Daniil Hunter. That should drop in the coming days. We'll talk about that on the show soon. Planning on having Sage Rosenfels to break down the whole week of minicamp. We'll get his two cents on the Ring of Honor inductees tomorrow. And I'm off to the final day of mandatory minicamp at Winter Park. I'm Sam Ekstrom. This is Locked on Vikings. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.